0: Hello and welcome to Minding Your Mind, all about your mind, how it works, mental illness and mental health. With me is Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. One of the effects of this whole COVID thing, you've probably heard of it, is that many are saying with work, having a loss of motivation and engagement and a desire to almost stop. Believe it or not, not everyone loves being on Zoom eight hours a day. A feeling of being overworked, of losing motivation, feeling exhausted by it, isn't just a COVID thing, of course. Uh, well, Many of us experience it. I can think of two times in my life how I've had jobs I really liked, but got to the stage of just being sick of them, finding it exhausting, all the enjoyment and satisfaction I'd previously felt didn't seem to be there anymore so what is that is burnout the right term if so what does it mean what causes it is it just a a, a kind of normal and natural temporary loss of interest and motivation is it mental fatigue are people who feel like this psychologically unwell can you prevent burnout if you do experience uh, burnout what do you do to fix it how do you get better uh, Ian, you're an enthusiastic, happy chap. I can't imagine you ever having burnt out. Have Have you ever done that?
1: Uh, I've changed what I've done when I've had enough of doing stuff. So yeah. interestingly, and, and certain groups like my own, like doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals, mm. you know, high driving, people in the middle worlds, in the 1970s, in that great managerial speak. United States, of course, how to be the most world's most successful CEO. The biggest risk was you'd burn out. You put so much energy into what you were doing. And if you're in a profession that was highly stressful and continuing on, the notion is you'd burn the engine out, you know, burn out. Americans have a great capacity to invent these things. In the rest of the world, for about the previous 300 years before that, it used to be nervous exhaustion, a term I preferred myself or neurasthenia. Oh, yeah. You just used up all your nervous energy and you just clonked out. The petrol tank was empty. Petrol tank. Kind of empty. You would put so much into something that you eventually just most of the kind of theorising around the neurobiology of that was that you were so on all the time. Your stress hormones were so up that you wore your body out. And that's an interesting thing because it is true that if your stress hormones are on all the time, your cortisol's on, your noradrenaline's up, your heart burn, blah, blah blah blah, you do burn the system out. The system needs to stop and reset actually, every 24 hours. So these people tell you, you know, I do it seven days a week. You know, I've done it for three years. I only had three hours sleep. They will burn the system out. You know, actually, the body has a physiology. It's not a machine. You can't just oil and water it and carry on, you know. It actually wears out if you are totally on. So there's a kind of physiology behind that. Though, interestingly, you know, it was a really fun thing in the 1970s. American. You know, To be a more successful CEO, how did you drive even harder while not burning out? Mm. or for those in professions like doctors, nurses, and everybody else, you know, we really want those people we really want them now to live long and successful lives. We don't want them to quit. We don't want the people to quit those jobs. We want them to be sustainable. That's a new modern word, isn't it? We want them to be sustained in those professions. So right now, in the COVID period and other periods, it isn't just about the workplace anymore. It's about the lives we're all living and can you juggle all the multiple things so if you're at the home at the moment trying to work from home, trying to homeschool, trying to take care of your kids, trying to keep your business going, trying to make your relationships work and there's no relief, then there's this wider discussion going on right now. Will we all burn out with the chronic stress of the current situation and having no options to turn it off or turn it down? You can't send the kids back to school. Nobody will take them. You know, you can't actually go out and get a different job. You can't actually take a holiday. You can't take time out to reset. You know, so the why I think the burnout concept is kind of useful is the notion that just we're not machines. You do need to reset. You do need to have periods where you're on and functioning and you have to have periods when you actually uh, turn off.
0: Mm.
1: Back in the 1970s when this was very popular, there was also very workplace related. You know, you'd become cynical, you'd become detached, you were emotionally had it. And you came to hate the organisation you were working for. You know, so the burnout thing was seen as being very destructive for corporations and for others to have their executives burn out because they, then they wanted to burn the joint down often. Um, and I think we now see this in the widest areas of life, you know, in the current situation, a lot of families, a lot of relationships, a lot of other things are under pressure and we want them to be able to survive. We won't, don't want them to burn out and then burn down. So it is a, you know, really interesting topic to address because then people go, oh, oh, is this the mental health crisis then? Is everyone anxious? Is everyone depressed? Has everyone developed a psychological disorder? So the other utility of burnout was to say, no, 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 no. there are psychological disorders and we devote most of this podcast to psychological disorders. But this general feeling of times of a kind of nervous exhaustion, a kind of I've had it, I need to do something different or I need to reset is something... More for all of us, not indicative necessarily of psychological disorder.
0: Let me uh, be a brief case study. The two times I've had it, the first time I was working as a criminal lawyer, which was my dream, and then I was also working as a stand-up comedian, which was my other dream. So I had two jobs that I loved, but gradually, through years of doing this and and being a criminal lawyer meant you're in court performing every day performing in inverted commas and obviously stand-up comedy did too and then when I wasn't doing either of those things I was trying to write stand-up comedy and so I was like for a couple of years this is fantastic life could not be better and then all of a sudden life became a series of tasks that I just wanted to tick off get through this gig get through court today and the enjoyment and satisfaction I got from both was both missing um and the solution in that case was to just fix my work-life balance a bit. Fast forward six years, the second time I got it, was when I was hosting a radio show and hosting a TV show at the ABC. Kind of exactly the same thing, two jobs I really wanted. And then again, life at some point became a series of tasks. And again, I had to address my work-life balance to get it kind of kind of fixed up. So it, it both times it seemed like things were out of whack. I'm sure sometimes it's probably a sign that you need to change, you know, you're not in the right job or you're not in the right career or whatever. But for me, it was just too much of a good thing, really.
1: So I think that's where the idea took off. You know, people who are doctors, nurses, CEOs, high-flying executives, they're loving what they're doing, you know. And if they could do them 24-7 and there were more than 24 hours in the day and more than seven days in the week, they'd do more because it's exactly what they want to do. But it's not sustainable. Mm. Here's the bad news. We're not machines, and we're not machines you can throw away and replace, (laughs) you know. You can't just put us up in the air 24-7 and fly us around the world. We just don't function that way. So I think the human possibility runs into the human reality. We aren't built that way. Mm. That for all these periods of being on, and this is certainly true of the brain, you've got to have periods of being off to sustain that over time. It's really interesting. I'm always intrigued At stories where people become, you know, Prime Minister of Australia or President or whatever, and then the first question they ask them is do you want to be in this job long? And if they want to be in the job long, they start saying you're gonna have to sleep, you're gonna have to exercise, you're gonna have to work out a routine that is sustainable. While you could be on the phone to the President of the United States and you could be at the G eight and you could be doing else and you could be ruling the world, guess what? You're gonna die. (laughs) It's not gonna work. You're gonna burn out. Common term expression. You can't actually do it. If you wanna do it effectively, I mean, Ronald Reagan, probably the best example. He just went to sleep at five in the afternoon. Fine. Wake (laughs) up the next day. What happened? He could have been president forever. What what are the lines for today? He's a great example of the opposite. Never burn out in the job. Never got that excited about it, you know, in a particular kind of way. So I think...
0: I, can I say on that? I've got a friend who's got a very, very high powered, important job. And he was, I was talking to him the other day and he said, Well, one of the turning points for me in this job was realizing that no matter how hard I worked, I was never going to get all my work done. There would always be more to do. So suddenly I had to change my working model, which had been get all your work done, then go home, to get as much as is possible done. Then go home. And he said that was quite a valuable, you know, a valuable turning point, realizing that the work would never be done no matter how hard he works, so don't try. Well try, but don't don't expect that you'll be able to do it all.
1: So often I think this is where the notion of work life balance has gone wrong, right? You know, kind of like we're gonna work six hours, eight hours, clear the desk, all done. Now I'll go home and I'll live. And that will be the other sort of things It'll be all kind of fine. Mm. As distinct from, actually, what's the way that you live your whole life each day, each week in a particular way? I and mean, I really like that work's never done. Anyone's got any serious kind of job, I've barely started by the time most days are finished, but that's okay. Which are the ones I need to do? What's the sense of achievement that happens every day? What's going to run over a longer framework? What's not really a crisis today in a particular way? You know, that, that actually one's level of arousal and therefore one's level of exhaustion is appropriate. The other kind of thing here is the physiology of that kind of stuff is if you're doing all this stuff and you're sleeping poor, you're eating poor, you're never exercise, or in the current world you're stuck in front of Zoom 16 hours a day, you are going to burn yourself out. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work physiologically. The desire to be productive in the kind of worlds that we live in now doesn't match the physiology of who we are. And there's a breaking point in all of that. I mean, the examples you gave are really good ones, James. I mean, two, two, two things you love, but, you know, I imagine I haven't done it. But dressing up as a lawyer and pretending and performing in court As Rumpole would have said, what a marvellous stage. You know, what a marvellous stage. You need more acting skills to be a lawyer than to be an actor. And then go out and be a stand-up comedian. Pretty challenging, I imagine. You know, not exactly the easiest audience in the world, but two things you love. But that level of arousal, that level of performance, that level of particular thing, not really very sustainable. So people do need to make choices. Often people in high-powered jobs, someone says, will you do this? They go, yep. Will you do that? Yep. Will you also do this as well? Yep. (laughs) They've got jobs... For 26 hours a day, you go, actually, that isn't going to work. And the bits that are, that are missing out, the downtime, the physical activity, the nothing on your mind, the long bush work, the swim underwater, the going down the surf, the spending time with family, all those other things that are rewarding and refreshing, go, the you know, taking a holiday, you know, actually doing something different. Brains also really don't like doing the same thing. So other thing you see in the burnout world is somebody's been doing something for 10 years, they're really good at it, but they're bored, you know. Mm. I don't want to say this about a number of my doctor friends, but they become marvellous technicians at whatever they do and it pays well and they do it and you run into about 45 and you say, how's it going, Jim? I'm bored. I've got to do something different. You know, the fact they can do it is no longer sustaining. So often in professional careers, a willingness to actually do different. I mean, you've done something really interesting, James. (laughs) Lawyer to comedian to broadcaster to communicator, you know, that doing different is challenging and different. It's actually a particular way also that's important. And often people don't realise that, that they've actually grown stale with the mm. thing. It isn't really the workplace. It isn't really the job. It isn't really what they've skilled at. They're just bored or stale. It's no longer got the engagement. Now, I say this from a brain point of view because a brain's like seasons. It needs fertiliser. It needs to regrow new things. It needs new challenges. It needs to do different. It needs to throw... It's emotionality, but it's energy, if you like, coming back to the exhaustion or sort of fuel analogy, into new things, not the same old things over and
0: over again. So we'll talk about getting better if you burn out in a moment, and we'll also talk about preventing it. But firstly, I want to know about diagnosis. It's very hard, actually, to work out when, oh, look, work's been, yeah, I've been a bit bored the last month, but I've got a really good job and I like it. And then the next months might be better. It's very hard to work out the difference between the normal ebbs and flows. You're not going to be fascinated by any job every day and actually diagnosing yourself as, right, I think I'm burnt out. I need to do something. What are the signs that you actually do need to address it?
1: So in this narrow kind of concept that it's workplace related, mm. you know, it is a lack of enthusiasm for work. It's a lack of engagement with work.
0: Over a period of time.
1: Plus time. In the whole world we're in, mental health world, there are two things. There's the symptom itself and there's the time period of it. You know, it does it after a good sleep, after a good holiday, after whatever, is it still there? <gasps> if it's still there, it's a problem. So the persistence mm-hmm. of the problem, yeah. It's this sort of low-level nature of it, the detachment, the lack of engagement, the particular thing you notice yourself and the lack of enthusiasm for it. In the environment that would normally be pleasurable others comment about you know degrees of cynicism about it, skepticism about it you know devaluing the actual work itself as distinct from you're no longer engaged with it you know a healthcare right. worker well, a doctor tells you they're no longer interested in saving lives that's kind of a problem you know yeah, right. <laughs> or nothing to be done good to be done in the area you know that's kind of a problem you know that that tells you something about the person's relationship with it that um, mm. has changed
0: well, a big sign for me when I was a criminal lawyer was that, uh, you know, clients come in and they've often troubled and have big charges against them or lots of little charges. And you're their voice, so you've got to have some empathy for them. What's the story you want to tell? What are you, What's going to get you out of this the best way possible? And then after a few years, someone says, oh, I had a terrible childhood and I became a heroin addict. And a little part of your mind is just going... Just why don't you get your shit together? Um, and you don't say that out loud, really, but you think, okay, maybe, I'm, maybe I need a little break. Maybe I'm getting a bit cynical.
1: That's a good one. Cynicism is discussed a lot in the burnout literature, skepticism, yeah. cynicism, declining empathy. You know, if you're in one, and this is an interesting thing, because a lot of people in helping professions, people professions are said to burn out. The burden of other people's problems is not insignificant. Once you develop a lack of empathy for those problems, Mm. you probably shouldn't be there. It's probably you and not them. You know, what you're saying about advocacy in the law or responsibility for people's health in the health professions or in other areas where it really does matter to that person, to the whole transaction, very human kind of levels. But the human ones actually are ones people probably do burn out, are in danger if they don't get this kind of right, of needing to have a sustainable approach to being in these kind of um, situations. Now, I think the whole thing here is it's not the same or being clear about whether you have slipped into a more serious, anxious, depressive disorder. Like, it's not just alienation with the current thing. It's not just something that's going to be fixed by a change in direction and a rearrangement by the way you do these things, a focus on the really high priorities for you. It's, it's actually that you whole world, not just this bit, one bit or another – your whole world has become like that. Your whole emotional state has shifted. So I think the burnout things come in and out of, sort of fashion a bit. As the interest in mental health problems has gone up in actually identifying anxiety and depression and not simply attributing it to the workplace or a lack of work-life balance or some other things, you know, because particularly amongst a lot of blokes and a lot of executives and a lot of people who are doing other stuff, trying to cope through drinking a lot or taking substances or engaging in other sorts of behaviours and really trying to pretend nothing's wrong, there has been a welcome increase in diagnosis of formal anxiety or depressive disorders that those people have become, if you like, ill
0: Mm.
1: to the extent. It isn't just in this narrow, slightly more existential, slightly sort of temporary exhaustion, temporary detachment from the thing that you otherwise love or care for or have trained for. So I think that kind of area... Is kind of back in the back to some degree of focus because we're all in this sort of chronically stressful, can't really solve anything at the moment. Period. If you're still in the pandemic period with us at the moment, you know that's creating a kind of reinterest in this differentiation of that kind of distress, alienation, detachment from formal psychological disorder.
0: Yeah, but it, I mean, a, a period of rest and perhaps reappraisal can sometimes be effective. The first time I, I got burned out, I got this m- mystery virus that I think I was just exhausted and spent a, a month in bed and at the end of it thought, okay, I'm doing two jobs. I reckon maybe I can go part-time in one of them. And that was – so I became a part-time lawyer and sta- continued to do stand-up c- comedy. And that was that was really that, – that was sustainable. That worked and I kind of rediscovered my zest for each one. And that, I kind of did that the second time too, um, just – you know, it took a bit of time and thought, okay, how can I get my enjoyment back? And that probably means not working quite as much. And then I'll be able to be more productive in the time that I am working, but then to learn how to effectively turn off. And luckily I had the flexibility to do that. And both those times it kind of works. So there's a, I guess there's a sliding scale, isn't there, between people who just need some time away and maybe make some minor changes and people where it has become a psychologically more significant event and and they need more time away and really need to think about it more and perhaps make some bigger change.
1: Yes, so I think there are short-term and longer-term sets of issues. So some people who are in certain kind of professions, they're really good at, whatever else, but they're struggling at the moment. They've been a bit too long, got a bit burnt out, got a bit, you know, t- struggling. Then the holiday, but there's the holiday and the holiday. I mean, some other particular things, like the world I'm in, people used to love to travel. You know, they used to go, get out. Yeah. They didn't do nothing. They got out and just did different things in an enjoyable way on a day-to-day basis yeah. and explored the world differently any of those many, many other places in the world that are really interesting and really challenging and really exciting and really engaging again so their emotional life would flourish in Florence or yeah. in Italy or in South America or wherever. You know, get out and actually do something. Or oh, you know, being forced like me to walk in places all over the world and really want to walk. But I had to concede. It was very, very good for me. You know, and the physicality of that, the daily cycle of that, you know, the uh, rejuvenation that goes with that kind of stuff of novelty, of challenge, of difference, and a return to a kind of more normative daily cycle filled with enjoyment and pleasure and novelty during the day and hopefully sleeping at night. You know, so I think that kind of thing of re reordering the emotional kind of response to normal things in a normal daily cycle, really helpful. And then go back to the profession the you and working in, you know, it actually wasn't the profession, it was me. Mm. The longer-term sustainability, though, of actually having... And I think this work-life balancing is really interesting and it's a term I hate as, to, as a term from what is the sustainable way of living? Because work's really important, right? But work is not just work. It's not life. Work-life suggests that there's work, which is non-life, and then there's life, which is non-work, you know? <laughs> a lot of the work I do is extremely pleasurable. It's living, it's with people. It's really engaging. And a lot of the stuff, I'm not even sure what I classify as non-work,
0: Not everyone's in that position. Some people have jobs that, you know, no matter how engaged they are, they're not particularly stimulating and interesting, and they do almost inevitably count down the clock a bit.
1: I think that depends on the work that you do, and I don't necessarily agree with that, James. I think all sorts of jobs, and depending on how people do them. I was chatting to a Coles checkout person recently. I had the most engaging discussion. (laughs) And you might say, you might say, I don't know what you think, you might think that's a really boring, awful kind of job. And we were having a chat about actually it was a really great job. <laughs> Chatting to people, doing things, engaging with people. The person doing that job, middle-aged person like myself, who I can call myself middle-aged, really liked it. It was full of people, it was full of whatever. The job itself wasn't the thing as you might think it. The way they were living that job was actually quite different from what you might think. If I was in that job I'd probably be hopeless. I couldn't face, you know. In a particular way. So I think you think of people in various trades jobs who love what they're doing. Master crave. I got a master tradesman in my house at the moment. He's the most fabulous bloke. He can do stuff with wood. I can't even dream of doing, you know, and he's really proud of what he does. And he has been doing it for 50 years. He's old, slightly older than me and still going to do it, but does it with great passion and engagement in a particular way. You might say that's a boring, repetitive thing to still be doing after 50 years. Loves it. Master tradesman in a particular thing. So I think in the jobs that we are in, you've got to ask yourself also, you know, In the job that you're in, are, are you able to live the life that you want to live in a Mm -hmm. particular kind of way? And then you've just raised a really interesting, James. You've had to change jobs several times. You are, I think it'd be fair to say, not on a traditional career path. (laughs) You know, you might have dumped that because it didn't really work. It wasn't really leading. So I think other times people got to have that serious conversation with themselves. Yes, this is a good job. It pays a lot and whatever else. And people think it's good, but is it good for me? Mm. You know, that's Um, hard. That's a hard question. I don't want to say. It's a hard conversation. So talking to some lawyers recently, very wealthy, very good, hate their job. I'm going, well, you know, you might have to actually think about this and other people might think it's a great job. Other people, oh, you're so lucky to have that job, but actually not really. Okay, so what are you going to do about it? You know, like how are you going to actually structure it or do whatever you're doing? And perhaps on those of us who think you only have one life, perhaps you're going to have to do different, you know, or... Change. And people have transitions in life, of course, transitions around relationships, families, and then the big one, retirement, or changes in particular ways. transitions in particular ways to how they actually live their life in productive ways while they perhaps change their principal way of participating in society, otherwise called employment or education or whatever. And people take different risks. So people make trade-offs. They don't always make smart ones. And often, when people have structures, financial commitments, family commitments, it can be really difficult. But I think the issue becomes really, really what does work on a daily basis? Where is the pleasure in work? Where is the life in work? And then, you know, yeah. the life outside, if you like, of those formal work structures. Where is the pleasure? I mean, a lot of people outside of their work have very rudimentary, very lack, lack actually a life outside, a richer social, physical, right. other little life of balance and things. And then physiologically, psychologically, it doesn't work. So I think this kind of, as you've suggested here, a more reflective view of this, what really works for me, and I'm going to say what works physiologically and is sustainable, you can't just do it for a week or a month, you've got to do it over a longer period of time, often people haven't given enough thought to that and get caught out.
0: So perhaps there's an argument that burnout can in a way, serve a useful purpose of forcing us to step back, re examine, and perhaps make those decisions that seemed a little bit difficult when it, things were going a little bit better. I mean, I remember I thought when I was doing uh, being a criminal lawyer by day and a stand up comedian by night, and sometimes I thought maybe I should go part time as a lawyer, that might be more sustainable. But then I thought actually, things are going okay, I'm not really sure about that, it might be a bit nervous about that. But then when I kind of hit this period of burnout, suddenly I had to engage with that decision in a more kind of real way. And I thought, yes, look, this this doesn't work. <laughs> Doing it for in the long term, having two jobs that are that are each burning adrenaline doesn't work. I need to change one. So can you argue that burnout can be the thing that actually forces us to grapple with these issues? That we might otherwise ignore.
1: Yes. I think it's a very mm. deep insight, James. That huh. you know you've been going 80 kilometres an hour and you just hit the speed hump and you just found yourself up in the air there for a while and came down hard. Ooh. Perhaps we should do this differently. Yes. And I think that's what happens, is that literally, physiologically, you've gone too far and the system's gone, this is not sustainable. You know. <laughs> the internals, it ain't working. Yeah. Now, sadly, sadly when people don't respond to that, then I think they are often on the journey to something worse. They just persist with it and their whole world starts to crash in around them and they're at risk then of crossing over to the other side into psychological disorder in a big way because they don't stop at that particular point and reflect. Yeah, severe anxiety, depression and the whole world falling in. So they've missed the earlier kind of thing and think, oh, well, that was just a road hump, a random road hump that I hit at 80K an hour. Uh, no need to, no need to do different. Instead of going, ah, oh, you know what, gotta think about this. This is, uh, my own body has let me know, and my own mind, if you like, my own thinking about it has let me know, hang on, this just don't work. You asked me earlier on about being burnt out myself, and I was kind of thinking that, I've been lucky and I mean somewhat deliberately because I'm obviously a person with a short attention span to have changed quite often what I do and where I do it across the course of my life for exactly that reason. And people was going all time, what are you doing? Why are you, what are you so enthusiastic about that? I go because I keep changing it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not just stuck in one particular bit because I'm well aware of the fact if you do one bit And they are endless. If you're in the world I'm in, you can be clinical and take care of people endlessly. There is no limit to the number of people to be taken care of and never get to the end of it. As you said, the job's never over. It's finishing. And you can be deeply, deeply lost and live everybody else's life and not your own. You can be in the academic world that I'm in and be entirely lost in ideas and never do anything useful. You know, you can be working and never do anything physical. You can never get out in the real world in a particular way. I've been lucky to have the flexibility in various ways to change what I've done and I'm lucky that my career allows me to be overseas and do other things and engage yeah. with other worlds. But part of that is, is a realisation that to be stuck in any one of those and think that you could just do more and more and more of it and be okay, this is what would probably happen. You could be highly skilled but burn out, you know. And then, then you're really not that much use to anybody. You know, you're actually not actually doing the particular things. And I see a lot of people then who become very afraid of change or they're locked into particular systems, then they feel really stuck. They're locked in because they're locked in financially, or they're locked in in other sort of commitments, or they feel they've only got one skill, you know. But in fact, mm. they're really, you know, in a sense, stuck in a rut, if you'd like, but stuck in a way that's doing them harm physiologically. So there is a sort of physiological harm that comes of it, chronically stressed, not relieved, not sustained. And, the, I mean, the pleasure's gone out of life. The fun's gone out of it, you know. <laughs> I'm also of the... You only live once.
0: Yeah. That example you gave earlier about doctors is an interesting one because if you're a doctor, and particularly if you're a medical specialist, say you're a cardiovascular surgeon, is that a thing? I think it is. Then you're kind of on top of this very narrow mountain um Lawyers often go sideways you know into corporate life quite easily, but where do you go from being a cardiovascular surgeon if you don't want, if you're bored being a cardiovascular surgeon? Any way you go you've got to lose status, probably lose a lot of income, and kind of go right down and retrain rather than kind of ideally as people often do in the business world, almost kind of fairly easily move sideways to a place of similar income and status.
1: The smart ones and many, there are many smart cardiovascular surgeons. They do do sideways. They become educators. They become right. researchers. They become administrators of big systems. They move on to, and, and often when older, when they're, when the hands are a little less steady, you know, the eyesight's a little bit declining. They kind of move on to the consultancy design, other aspects. So I think many of those people in exactly those very technical high levels become aware that building those other skill sets or nurturing those other skill sets, particularly as they age, having reached the top of that particular pyramid. There's a time when you're the best at that technically, but there's a time that that itself needs to actually broaden and you're probably more useful doing more than that over time. So I think you've also had a really interesting thing, which is the key man strategy, the people who come to believe that only they can do Oh, yes. It, and I must keep doing it, otherwise the world will fall apart. If I yeah. stop doing cardiothoracic surgery, nobody will ever be able to do it as good as me, and people will die. It will all be my fault. And you know, the believe world believe it, will it
0: or not, believe it or not, there's quite a number of them in the legal game too. You know, people go on holidays and they ring you up and say, "Well, is everything okay? What happens with the Jennings matter and the Smith matter? Are they going okay?" Yeah, they're going fine, and they kind of go, "Oh, they sound disappointed." You mean it's going fine without me?
1: And there's a bit of learning. But that's a really good example you know, the CEO of organisations and whatever else. They couldn't possibly, the whole organisation couldn't possibly survive without me. You know, certain media organisations will fall apart unless the boss sitting in New York rings every editor every day to make sure they're all on track and, you know, guess what? You know, they actually roll out every day. It doesn't really, you know. So that that kind of thing I think is also built in as a bit of uh, learning about things. Now, those who have, uh, to use a very classic Ericksonian concept, generativity in mind, like generating the next generation and the wider notion of where they fit in are thinking about the sustainability of other people and how it all comes together and that's a really productive thing to do and often I think in this burnout world where people have been very high powered of developing a skill or doing a thing and becoming very good at something the next phase is okay if I've become good so could a lot of other people and guess what yeah we could share this around a bit and guess what I could probably take a holiday in Italy or South America or whatever and the world will not fall apart People will live and that kind of sustainability kind of idea, not just through what you do yourself, but through the wider business of what you generate. It's really interesting. Now, people, some people who've been in these high power positions are not very good at that. They're not very good at letting go and letting the other person have a go with the steering wheel or drive the car or, you know, run the joint. So that's a really interesting, if it's said to be a personality characteristic at risk of burnout, it's that one. The obsessional, controlling, perfectionistic, only I can do it.
0: I guess we're talking about uh, people who, are, you know, professionals, people who might ha- have a fair bit of education, um, jobs with high status. But is it just as easy to get burnout if you have? A, a less well-paid a, a job, a job that is perhaps less interesting, requires less education and skills. I would have thought it probably easier because you get bored more quickly.
1: So the burnout managerial literature was all written for CEOs and high-flowers and doctors and cardiothoracic surgeons, right? If you go to the other end of things and actually study these things systematically, it's exactly as you said. It's those people who have little control over their jobs, who do feel their jobs are routine, who do not find pleasure in their jobs – Who are much more stuck (laughs) with that, you know, and have less options because they may have, as a consequence of education or training or other things, they may have fewer options about what else they can do to be sustainable, you know, to be financially sustainable in the worlds that we're in. So if you look at the job frustration, job strain, job difficulty, yes, it is not the whinging, complaining cardiothoracic surgeons and CEOs and high powered lawyers. They're having a ball and their mental health on the whole is much better. So even though all this literature is written for them, It ain't for them. Actually, the problem, if you like, much more readily is how is it within a whole range of other jobs that people find the satisfaction, the skill, the rewards, and the recognition, the status. I mean, status is a really interesting thing. We should take this on another time. I mean, social recognition for what you do, appreciation for what you do in the groups, is really interesting. Now, I find this because I think doctors think they're the most important people. But actually, if you ask people who are the most important people, people say nurses. Not doctors. Mm. You know, they're actually, they're the people who are actually helping you and are nice and are really care for you and sweet with you, even though they don't have the highest status. But actually, in the social sense, they have higher status than doctors because they're actually more socially valuable. You know, so there are these kind of things that operate in the various worlds that we're in of the extent to which people are appreciated, but there is a flexibility control who's got greater capacity to have options to move in particular ways. And so the real... Job-related difficulties are for those with lower control over their work life, fewer options, less skills, you know, financially, uh, less flexibility, et cetera, in, in those kind of worlds. So it is an interesting literature, and I'm glad the 1970s managerial, how to be the world's best CEOs kind of died. Mm. And the current discussion is more about, for all of us in the complex lives that we live, getting overloaded with everything we've got on our plates, but also... What are good jobs? What are good jobs? What are jobs that could be done by machines, for example, that none of us want to do, right? And what is it the other jobs, the rest of us, that humans actually want to do that that make our lives, you know, more enjoyable most of the time, no matter what level we're actually operating at?
0: So as we sum up a couple of things, uh, things to be aware of, I suppose, is looking out for yourself, those signs that – You're losing motivation, losing enthusiasm, lacking energy in your work and then thinking, okay, are there things I could do? That could actually get that back, like you were talking about the great attitude of the the checkout person that you were talking to at Coles. Is that my attitude? And are there things I can do to get a, a bit of enthusiasm back? Or alternatively, is this a sign that things are going to get worse and I'm on a downward slope with this job? And is it a sign I need to step back and really think about whether it's the right place to be for me. So early warning signs. And then if you do enter a period where those feelings of of boredom and frustration and exhaustion and lack of motivation get chronic, how do you step away, particularly if you need to keep earning income, what decisions do you make and, and at what period do you actually need to say, okay, this is more than a kind of a trifling thing. This is something that I really need to engage with and get help to feel better.
1: Yeah, so I think the warning sign is really important. I actually think also planning is important. Most of us, if we're fortunate, are going to live long and complicated lives and we're not going to retire, actually. We're going to keep working, we're going to keep engaging, we're going to keep participating. We're going to need to think about the sustainability of that. I'm actually just going to do the whole thing all the time. Or am I going to change the way they do it? What you said about change, about people moving sideways and law and everything else, is it just about becoming a narrower and narrower person and very good at only one thing?
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> or actually, is it about what do we do over a much longer period? If you're going to have a 40 or 50 year working life. How are you going to look at that? And what are the changes? And what's going to be sustainable? And how do you get, you know, going to get to also do other pleasurable things you want to do? If you want to travel, if you want to write, if you want to exercise, you want to do other things, spend time with family. Me, I want to spend more time with grandkids. You know, how are you gonna do that in the in the way that you're kind of do? So part of this is preemptive as well. It's a planning kind of thing to be thinking about that in particular ways. And and if you're in that situation where you can have greater flexibility and you could make plans about that, to be actually thinking about that in a particular kind of ways. I mean, we had a thing in the University of the hilarious things of making people take holidays. Some people think being working for a university is a permanent holiday, and I understand that. But some people just, you know, have lost the plot that actually they need to be in the wider world to be a better university lecturer or researcher. You know, they need to get out in way to be better at actually what they do. You know, the cardiothoracic surgeon who's taken a few holidays and had a good night's sleep is a better cardiothoracic surgeon than the one who hasn't. You know, same with the airline pilots and everything else. They They don't let them keep just flying and keep going. They're not machines. You know... So I think some degree of planning also to think, look, this is what norm, it's it's normative. This is not indicative that you're ill. It's actually what happens if you get stuck in these kind of situations and you exhaust, you're under pressure, you're doing particular things, you exhaust yourself. That sort of nervous exhaustion thing we started with, you know, and, you know, just has an American label, burnout, you know, if you just let it go. So if you go, okay, look, well, that's what's going to happen if you just do this stuff. What are, what are your options? What other things do you need to do? What do you need in the course of it? and I think taking it back another level, what are you going to do in the course of a working week? What are you going to do in the course of a day? You know, what point do you kind of end? So it's a sustainable day-to-day, sustainable week-to-week. People that tell me they've worked all weekend, they've worked the last three weekends, they've worked the last 14 weekends, they go, hang on a sec, that ain't going to work. You know, and in a crisis at certain periods, it may be necessary, but it ain't going to work. Or the people who tell you they've, you know, haven't, they've been sleeping four hours – a night for the last six weeks or something. I think. How long do you think that's going to work? Yeah. You know, bad idea. That is not going to work. You know, you're going to collapse in one way. Might be what we call burnout. Or you're going to collapse big time into something worse. You know. So think this more reflective about how we are physiologically and psychologically, and thinking about. Okay. Okay. Life should be enjoyable, and sustainable. <laughs> you know, we know about these things. We know what happens when you don't do that, and a lot of this podcast i think james is about minding your mind (laughs) preemptively planning for it to have a better life
0: yeah look that was a beautiful finish wasn't it you came back and ended with our title um we can't get better than that if you have any questions or comments or want to suggest further topics for us to discuss send us an email at mindingyourmind2 at gmail.com that's mindingyourmind2 at gmail.com and Minding Your Mind is supported by Future Generation Global and the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health. Further helps available from Headspace, Beyond Blue, Head to Health, and Lifeline. Google them, or you can call Lifeline on 131114. Talk to you next time.